chapters. And then Jesus is immediately led by the Spirit into the wilderness uh, and tested for 40 days and 40 nights. And then he comes back from the wilderness and calls and forms a community around him from which then he enters into public ministry of healing and teaching and preaching. So just remember that context that we have uh, as we walk through this. Um, So at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, which we'll read in a minute, we see his identity being affirmed and then forged and tested in the wilderness. From the wilderness, as I've said, he comes out of the wilderness, chooses, calls his disciples, forms community, and then begins ministry. So I have three key words today. Identity, community, ministry. Thank you for that underlining. So much of what I'm saying this morning is from the writing of Henry Nouwen. I, I work at Laidlaw College, so we, we, we believe that we should give credit to um, the material of the people we're using. So much of the credit for this morning comes from the writings of a guy called Henry Nouwen. He's a Catholic priest and a writer on the Christian life and spirituality. I've spent quite a bit of time in his writings over the last few years as part of my research. So um, it really struck me with, with Henry that... Uh, one of his key themes from the Gospels is this idea of beloved as our identity, which we're going to get into now. So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 3, 13 to Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so, for it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then... John consented. Now, at that point, we could spend a whole sermon on consent and what it means for us to consent to the invitation of our Lord Jesus Christ, to love him, to trust him, to follow him. Uh, As I said, for 28 years, uh, I have been doing that faithlessly at times, but from that can testify to the faithfulness of God and that even when I am faithless, he is faithful. And so John consents, and as, Ju- as soon as Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water, at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. You'd think that, wouldn't you? The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he says, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
And so we see in this passage a dynamic of Jesus being baptized. And as soon as he comes up out of the water, the heavens open, uh, the Spirit of God descends in the form of a dove, and he hears this voice, uh, this voice declaring, this is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Or another translation says it this way, you are my beloved, on you my favor rests. And that is the key point of my sermon, and they have once again underlined it. Thank you, guys. So you are my beloved, and on you my favor rests. Now, Henry Nouwen is convinced that this deep sense of being beloved is the center of Jesus' identity and is the center of our identity also. You are God's beloved. On you his favor rests. The same voice that declares over Jesus declares this over you and I. We, as we sang earlier, we are God's beloved children, God's beloved daughters, God's beloved sons. He loves you and on his favor, and his favor rests on you, and he is well pleased with you. Now, this can be very difficult for us to believe. We may give mental assent to it, but it's very difficult for us to truly live out of this belovedness. And that's because, in many ways, the world does not operate this way. The world demands, as Satan demanded of Jesus, that we prove who we are, that we prove our worth, that we prove that we are worth loving. We must therefore be useful, be productive, be popular, be powerful, be wealthy, whatever it is that the world demands of us to prove our worth. And we see this in Jesus' life. This declaration is made over him. You are my beloved. On you my favor rests. And immediately he's led to the wilderness and his identity, his belovedness is tested. There's this testing of the source of his identity. Satan says to him, if you are the son of God, if you are, prove it. Prove it to me. If you are the son of God, then turn these stones to bread. Throw yourself down and test your father's love for you. If you're the son of God, then you should have power. Now in season, these temptations of Jesus three temptations that we all face in our lives. And he frames them this way. The temptation to be relevant, the temptation to be popular, and the temptation to be powerful. Turning the stones into bread is the temptation to be relevant, to fix problems. Jesus was hungry, turn some stones into bread. Fixed, done, might move on. What's the next problem? Let's fix it. To be productive, to prove that we are useful members of our society by what we do, the problems we fix. The temptation to be popular, throwing himself down from the, from the top of the temple. If you think about that, um, he's taken to the top of the tower, top of the temple, and if he had in fact thrown himself down, that might have been a little bit spectacular, if you think about it. He's falling and angels from heaven swoop down and catch him and bring him to 
rest safely on and what happens then oh, all the people who are at the temple worshiping see this man throwing himself off the top being rescued by angels who is this person right so there's this now one says in here there's this temptation to be spectacular this temptation to be known this temptation to be popular it's a massive massive temptation in our society with our cult of celebrity and the temptation to be powerful all of this i will give you all of the world is yours if you will but just worship me. And so in this, now one sees a temptation to be powerful, to garner power to ourselves, to have impact and influence. Now, of course, from one point of view, these things are actually positive, aren't they? Should we not be relevant and of good reputation and with positive influence? Of course. But the temptation in these things is that they become the source of our identity. Jesus' last response to the tempter is revealing that what we serve is inevitably what we worship. Being in a world that demands we prove our worth in the same way that Jesus, Satan demanded that Jesus prove he was the Son of God, our identity can all too easily become enmeshed with the external rewards of life. What we have how we look, if we are liked, if we are wealthy, famous, powerful, beautiful. But is this how Jesus lived? I think what I see in Jesus is a full confidence of who he is in God. You get a clear sense from reading the Gospels that no one forces Jesus to do anything. Jesus isn't out to prove anything. He knows who he is. Jesus works seamlessly in obedience to his, whole, to his heavenly Father and in the power of the Spirit each and every day during his public ministry as recorded in the Gospels. He seems to have the sense of centeredness around his identity as God's beloved Son. And this in turn means he is free to serve others with both compassion and conviction and without compulsion to prove anything to anyone. The need to, be driven, the need to be relevant, the need to be popular, the need to be powerful, does not drive or define him. Who he is, is settled. It was settled in the wilderness. I am God's beloved. On me his favor rests. And you and I, when we are in Christ, the same is of us. We are God's beloved, and on us his favor rests. And so Jesus returns from the wilderness after the testing of his identity and forms a community of disciples around him. So we see here that even Jesus, as the Son of God, does not minister alone. I think that's a profound thing to recognize in our individualistic culture where we think it's all up to us. That even Jesus, returning from the wilderness, creates, calls a band of people around him to support him, to journey with him, to grow and to learn and experience life with him in his ministry. We do not minister alone. So this, of course, is a picture of our community, isn't it? 
Our communion with God overflows to communion with others and our ministry with and for those in our world. It is this belovedness that anchors Jesus' ministry. And our ministry is likewise anchored in our belovedness, not just as individuals, but as a community. We are a community of the beloved. So, in talking about identity, and specifically our identity in Christ as beloved, we cannot do so for very long without talking about community and ministry. Even Jesus' identity at his baptism was affirmed in community, the community of the Trinity. We have the Son coming up out of the water, the Spirit descending in the form of a dove, and the voice of the Father from heaven, saying, This is my Son, whom I love, in him I am well pleased. So our identity is always in the context of community. And likewise, we don't do ministry alone. Community is outworked in ministry. And our identity is both affirmed and formed in a community of ministry. So what, I've, what has profoundly, I think, really impacted, what I have seen at a new depth in the last year or so is simply this, that often we think of ministry as what we do. As a church, often we think of our ministry to the world as the programs and the outreach and the funding for community things that we do. And of course, those are really good things. But I think more profoundly and more importantly, our ministry to the world is our simply being the community of the beloved. Our ministry is not just what we do as a community. But our ministry to the world is simply in being community. Loving one another. Our being the body of Christ in God's good world is our ministry. So Jesus, in, uh, towards the end of his ministry, how will the world know that we are Christ's disciples? And in one of his prayers in the Gospel of John, he says this, by our love for one another. So our ministry, your ministry, is not just what you do. It is not merely the productive output of your life, which is, of course, what our, what our world would say, isn't it? Your ministry is who you are. And that is profoundly more challenging. Profoundly more challenging. For me, it is anyway. It's easy for me to do stuff and not be changed. But if my ministry is who I am, then I have to really think about intentionally who am I and who am I becoming? And is my, is my life anchored in my belovedness? So we are now free as disciples of Christ to go into this world and witness to others through our lives in our community here that they too are beloved. Others can also know love and acceptance and healing and freedom and grace and mercy and righteousness without having to prove that they've earned it. 
My 28, I'll tell you now, you can't earn it. You can try and you will fail. You are God's beloved and on you his favour rests. Now Jesus, when he started his public, when you think about that, Jesus coming out from obscurity to be baptised by John and going into public ministry, 30 years about, probably, we think he was about 30 years old, he hadn't done anything in terms of public. He, he was probably a carpenter living with his family in a little town called Nazareth. He hadn't done anything. But this man was God's beloved son, and on him his favor rested. How much of our hearts, how much of our minds have been so formed by our culture that says your worth depends on how good you look? Your worth depends on your balance sheet, on your net equity. Your worth depends on how well-known you are or how well-liked you are. This story, the story of Jesus' baptism and his temptation and his testing, stands in stark contrast against the world that says our worth is formed by what we do what we have, what we look, all the external things. As a community, we have this ministry to God's good world, to reveal the loving God and his love flowing through us to heal others. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that in our church, we have these six words, knowing God, loving people, changing lives. As we know God, more and more and deeper and deeper, we understand his love for us. We understand our belovedness. From that flows a community of loving people. People not just outside the church, but in the church. Sometimes it's easier to love people you don't know than the one who you know well and rubs you up the wrong way. That's why we're in community. That's why resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness... And backbiting and gossip is so destructive of the body of Christ because it is not just about what we do. It is about who we are. Who we are is the ministry to the world. As a community of the beloved, it is who we are. And this is why both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John and their letters to the early church are so, so passionate about the communities living well together. They understand and they know at a deep theological level the importance of loving one another well because it is in our love for one another that the world will know that God is real. It is our love for one another that we, are te we testify to and are witnesses to the goodness of God in our lives. So we find our identity in Christ as beloved. As the church, we are the community of the beloved, called to show forth like a city on a hill, that cannot be hidden, the light and love of God. We are to be loved in our communities like salt, to savor those we come into contact with, with the love of God. And this does not come from us manufacturing it. We cannot try harder to love with the lover of God. We must first receive to be able to give. Only God can give what he has not received. We are not God. 
We are creatures. We are finite. And for us to give, we must first receive. Jesus uh, implicates this when he says, freely you have received, now freely give. There's a first and a second. Freely receive and then freely give. We cannot give what we have not received. This is why our ministry flows from our identity as beloved. Because when we begin to understand that we are truly beloved, truly beloved, then from that flows love. Because we have received, we can now give. Our belovedness is both formed in and leads to community and as a community, our ministry. Now, this is not necessarily an easy or quick process. In fact, in my experience, I think this is a lifelong journey of endurance and an adventure of discovery. It is both. It's an adventure of discovery. And it's a lifelong journey of just sometimes just putting one foot in front of the other. Keep on keeping on. As we live in communion with God and with others through pain and healing, joy and suffering, sickness and health, offense and forgiveness, gratitude and resentment, celebration and mourning, birth and death, we discover as individuals and as a community that God is there that God cares, and that his everlasting arms of love will never let us go. For you are God's beloved, and on you his favor rests. So with Paul and his letters to the Romans, I ask who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine Famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all these things, Paul and I and us as a community are convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this morning, may you know this love. May it be liberating truth and abundant life in your inner being. And may this love overflow within us, through us, and from us like streams of living water to a world in need of God's love and grace and hope and peace. Amen. So let it be. Thanks, team.